This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here with another episode of the Prospect Podcast. A day after Chiefs kind of dismantled the Houston Texans. I know the final score was only 34-20, to 20, two touchdowns, but it seemed like a wider gap between those two teams, especially in the second half. Some quick takeaways uh, that I had from watching the game, and I will admit I did not watch the second half live. I watched it this morning. Uh, what's up with the Houston Texans offensive line? Like Laramie Tunzel, one of the top three highest-paid left tackles in the league, this top-ten pick who before the bong incident on draft night was maybe going to be a top five selection. I never really saw that with him. I thought Ronnie Stanley out of Notre Dame was a better tackle in that draft class, but I still thought he was an elite prospect. Just did not look the part against Frank Clark last night, and the Chiefs' pass rush is really Frank Clark and Chris Jones, and everything else is kind of patchwork in terms of what they can bring as a defensive line. Titus Howard... The head-scratching first-round pick of 2019, I think from going from the small school level to being thrown to the fire as a rookie, having an injury, and coming back this year uh, has done an admirable job, but just looks like someone that was playing at a small school level just two years ago and probably should have gone somewhere in the second or third round. Deshaun Watson made a lot of plays, didn't have a crazy big night, but there, it seemed like almost every other snap he was playing backyard football. And if the Texans, without DeAndre Hopkins to kind of connect with Deshaun Watson to bail out the offense, they're not going to get a big production out of Brandon Cooks, which I think he'll have bigger performances than what he had last night. They're going to have to protect Deshaun Watson better. I liked what I saw from David Johnson. I guess I'm kind of starting with the losing side here. He looked way more spry and explosive than he did last season with the Cardinals. I don't know if there were some uh, injuries still lingering. Oh, and by the way, I'm I'm driving right now, hands free, so it's it's safe. I just this is the only time I can squeeze in this podcast today. So if you hear that background noise, it's probably just my car. I liked what David Johnson showed. Duke Johnson left with an injury, flashed a little bit, and Will Fuller had eight catches for 112 yards, and it was one of those efforts where it kind of shows that 300-yard performances for a quarterback, 
100 yard efforts for wide receivers aren't created equal that you were kind of like oh he had eight catches for 112 yards he had a big drop the first pass of the game great back shoulder throw from Deshaun Watson to Will Fuller Will Fuller was not able to bring it in would have been somewhat of a difficult catch but not something that was unreasonable to expect from now your number one wide receiver I truly don't think Will Fuller is a number one receiver, but he's been thrust into that role after the DeAndre Hopkins trade. As far as as the Chiefs go, there was some rustiness early. Patrick Mahomes looked his typical sharpness, made ridiculous throws outside the pocket down the field, but not a lot of throws down the field. There was only three completions beyond 10 yards for Patrick Mahomes, one beyond 16 yards. Just one game, but it was just kind of a microcosm of what the NFL is today. And yes, the Chiefs will have games where Patrick Mahomes will have seven completions over 20 yards. But it's a microcosm of what the NFL is today, that it's a becoming what we've seen in college, that it's screens and how creative you can design them and how good your players are after the catch and how well the defense tackles. And Tyreek Hill didn't have a big game, but it didn't really matter. I think this Chiefs offense is built that that is the case. Travis Kelsey did not have a monstrous game. Patrick Mahomes really spread around the football well. Demarcus Robinson had a couple drops. Could have been two touchdowns. But it showed that the Chiefs don't have to be clicking on all cylinders to score 34 points. And I'll end with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on this front, on this game. Uh, 138 yards rushing. Looked so explosive, and I wasn't crazy high on him. He kind of ended the draft process for some people as like the number one or number two running back. I think he was my number four, number five runner. And that I I loved his contact balance and how laterally elusive he was. Like his jump cuts were just outstanding. The spin move in the hole that he deployed a lot of times against Alabama, just in the SEC last season, and obviously how good he was as a pass catcher were his strengths. But I didn't see a lot of juice when it was like getting through the line, getting to the second level, and extending it to the third level of the defense. I saw that last night. I don't know if it was just training for the combine. I mean, he didn't test through the roof really at all. Uh, But I saw that last night that he looked more explosive in a straight line than I was expecting. The Chiefs offensive line blocked pretty well. And I think what I said or like what I was thinking going into this game, I I actually – put out there on Twitter last night to bet the under of 54. So Vegas starts off with a home run hitting 54. Actually, I guess probably Vegas wants to win one way or the other, but I'm saying that they hit a home run in that. Always like looking at Vegas and saying, how do they get these lines and these point spreads so close so often? And they hit it on the head. I think in some spots it was 54 and a half, but when I checked William Hill, like I think middle of the afternoon yesterday before the game, it was 54 and 34-20 was the final score of the game. Uh, what I was thinking with that beyond just the rustiness to start any season, especially this one, without a preseason, uh, was that the I didn't think the Texans were going to score a lot of points because of losing DeAndre Hopkins. And I was a little bit worried, though, about the Texans defense that JJ Watt flashed at times still has a swim move looked good being moved around he can win from any position still but where's the rest of the pass rush coming from DJ Reader's gone obviously Jadavian Clowney's gone 
Benadric McKinney's a good blitzer. He's a big physical presence at the linebacker spot. I don't hate Houston secondary. I like Bradley Roby as an outside cornerback, very athletic. Justin Reed is a very versatile safety that can be that slot defender. He can cover down the field. Had a great pass breakup on that Demarcus Robinson. I'm not going to call it a drop, but the ball was in his hands. It's probably a better defensive play than it was uh, a, a poor offensive play by Demarcus Robinson. Vernon Hargraves playing in that secondary is kind of strange, but it's it's Bill O'Brien. I mean, it, it's not surprising some of these roster or what's happened or what happened last night with the Texans and kind of their outlook for the season with Bill O'Brien calling the show, running the shots, whatever, running the show, calling the shots. Got my phrases mixed up there. Um, so I, I think the Texans, and Bill O'Brien said it, that, that they need to change things quickly. It seemed like the Chiefs were in about third or fourth gear the whole game, maybe even second gear, and the Texans were just struggling to try to score 20 points or stop the Chiefs at all, and they couldn't do it. They still gave up 34 points. Mahomes did not have a great outing, didn't even average 70 yards per attempt. So that's kind of where I'm at with both of those teams. I picked the Colts to win the AFC South before the season. I still think that's going to be the case. Obviously, wasn't going to just backtrack on my thoughts anyway. And the Chiefs are very effortlessly one of the best teams in the NFL, the best team in the NFL, along with the Saints, in my opinion, and a top two or three team at worst in the AFC. All right, switching gears to the NFL side of things uh, to kind of get you caught up with what I had this week. Uh, an ACC preview is out. It's now up on CBSSports.com. Just running through three to f- at most five prospects for all ACC teams, the top prospects from those schools. The ACC schedule starts this weekend. We got Miami last night against uh, UAB. De'Ara King played pretty well. He's super twitchy. He's a fun player to watch. He's not physically the next Lamar Jackson, but he's someone that I th- I think, and I wrote this in the article, if he shows a stronger arm, more improvement as a passer from inside the pocket, he could play as a quarterback in the NFL. He's a little smaller, but that's not really a deterrent for me. It's more that his arm strength wasn't really there from watching him at Houston over the past couple seasons, even though he was putting up big numbers. There was a lot of gadget scheme stuff that was leading to those big passing figures. But as an athlete, he's outstanding. He looks like an NFL running back. But I'm not going to call him a running back now. He gets this whole season to kind of prove that he can be an NFL quarterback. Had a good start last night. Need to watch that full game or at, at least the offensive. And I guess the defensive side, even without Gregory Rousseau. Because Quincy Roche, the other Miami edge rusher, is a top prospect. I got to watch that. But I, I did check out some of De'Aaron King last night. And he looked good. So check that article, ACC Prospects, not just Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. I really like this conference from a draft perspective. Carlos Basham probably could have gone in the second round last year in the draft. Edge, big, powerful, bendy, explosive edge rusher from Wake Forest. I love Patrick Jones from Pittsburgh. His teammate Jalen Twyman, the defensive tackle, opted out. uh, So he'll lose having that presence on the inside to take away some of the attention. But 6'5", 260, long arms great pass rushing moves has increased his production in his first three years at Pittsburgh I think he's 
someone that could play his way into the first round. I already have him as a first-round prospect, but I don't know if that's where he's seen as uh, in terms of the consensus of where the NFL views him. UNC has two fun receivers, Daz Newsom and Diami Brown. Newsom is kind of the slot yards after the catch player. Diami Brown is that taller outside downfield threat. Uh, and with Sam Howell throwing him uh, passes after such a tr- an outstanding true freshman season, I think we're going to see a really explosive team for Mac Brown's Tar Heels this season. And, and it's just going to be... Uh, how high can each of those two wide receivers move up draft boards? Because they're very explosive. Both had 1,000-yard seasons. Both went over double-digit touchdowns last year. We're going to see more of the same. And I I think by year's end, we're going to be talking about two top 50 selections at the wide receiver spot from North Carolina. It's been a while. Maybe Hakeem Nix was probably the last early pick at wide receiver from North Carolina. Matt Collins was in there too, but he got picked later by the Eagles a few years ago. Um, two really fun players, Daz Newsom, Dimey Brown. Remember those names. I'm trying to think who else in the ACC. We get Notre Dame. Uh, they always have good blockers. Uh, Liam Liam Eichenberg is the left tackle. He's been the left tackle for the last couple of years for the Fighting Irish. Has a really interesting matchup this weekend against my number one edge rusher at Duke, Chris Rumpf who really brings it in terms of his pass-rushing move arsenal. Very explosive. Looks like a five-year NFL veteran with his hands. He just cannot be blocked, was not blocked last season. I want to see if he put on some weight and plays more tra- in a more traditional edge rusher role this season. He kind of was, was this stand-up linebacker that blitzed through the A-gap at times or was just kind of peeking over the A-gap at this at the snap and was able to win against guards and centers. At times you saw him, you know, win around the corner too. Very bendy. His dad was a longtime position coach in the SEC. He's now in the NFL, outside linebackers coach for the Texans, actually, I believe. Um, so that will be an interesting matchup. That's two ACC prospects with Notre Dame kind of being pushed into the ACC this year. Good conference overall. And I will end this podcast by saying get to CBS Sports this morning because I released the first week of the 2020 practice squad power rankings. I absolutely adore doing draft evaluations, but this series, this article every week is my favorite that I write throughout the season. Change things up a little bit with the expanded practice squad rosters this year in the NFL. But we'll be more the same, ranking the players that I believe are the best practice squatters, or as maybe your dad would say, taxi squatters. I kind of actually like that term. I never really grew up with it being called that, but a lot of like people my dad's age or a lot of my friends' dads call it the taxi squad still. Players on that taxi, on every practice squad I ranked, there's a top 10, and I'll tweak that every week, and then I'm going to do six honorable mentions every week to align with the fact that there are 16 players on every, or there is allowed to be 16 players on every practice squad this year in the NFL. And a quick peek ahead to what I'm going to be doing every week beyond practice squad power rankings, Fridays are for practice squad power rankings. So that'll be Fridays. On Monday, after we've taken in 
Saturdays in college football and obviously Sundays in the NFL. Wide receiver watch. I did it last year. Just checking in on the top wide receiver prospects. We're not going to get a lot of those good wide receivers from the Big Ten. Chris Olave, uh, more notably Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, Rondell Moore from Purdue. But there's still both wide receivers at Alabama, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell, Terrace Marshall from LSU, Charleston Rambo at Oklahoma. There, there are a, a lot of wide receivers in those three Power Five conferences. I just talked about Diami Brown and Daz Newsom that are going to make a name for themselves. It would have been fun to watch Jamar Chase this year, but his, his numbers weren't going to be as good. And I don't blame him for opting out. So wide receiver watch, just going to check in and where my rankings are and just how the top wide receiver prospects performed over the weekend and kind of move them up and down and see you kind of get a peek behind the curtain of the in-season evaluation process at the wide receiver position. It should be another very good class but unfortunately, we won't be able to include, or I won't be able to include, Rondell Moore, Rashad Bateman, Big Ten, Pac-12, and Mac wide receivers in that. Tuesday, it's kind of open. Whatever happens over the weekend in college, NFL, send pitches to my editor. We'll, we'll have a lot of fun with that. That's Tuesday and Thursday. And Wednesday, to feed your hunger for mock drafts, every Wednesday I'll be publishing a new mock draft just look at different possibilities as this NFL and college football seasons progress, where teams and prospects could ultimately go, and then Friday practice squad power ranking. So I'm really, really excited for what is now my, let's see, 2017, 18, my fourth season, my fourth draft class at CBS Sports as an NFL draft analyst and evaluating young NFL players. Really excited, super grateful for everything that in, involved that's involved with my job at CBS Sports and I'm grateful to you for listening to the Prospect podcast. I'm Chris Paso. Thank you. Hey, what's up everybody? The Prospect podcast is back. I'm Chris Paso. Wanted to jump on and do another podcast and get this thing rolling again after we had the Big 10 back on the college football schedule on Saturday. I think there were like 40 games on Saturday. It felt almost complete. My my life was almost complete on Saturday, having a close to a full slate. We're just waiting on the MAC and the Pac-12, and we will get a full slate of college football, Division 1A, FBS, whatever you want to call it. Quick thoughts uh, on the games that I watch, and I'll start in the Big Ten. You've probably seen this around the internet already, but I will chime in as well. Michigan defensive end, Quiddy Pay, was outstanding against Minnesota. It didn't matter where they lined him up, left defensive end, right defensive end, standing up as an outside linebacker. They even used him inside for a few snaps. Uh, he's a player that, I don't know if it's his weird number, number 19, uh, or what it is, but he looks like... He's an undersized defensive end on film, and he's listed at like 6'4 and almost 270 pounds. Uh, And obviously the the biggest reason why he got put on the draft radar, he was good last year, was that Bruce Feldman uh, listed him as the number one player on his freaks list. Past guys, Saquon Barkley, Tristan Wirfs, Miles Garrett. So there's a long line of high draft picks that were 
on the freaks list, but not just there at the top of the freaks list done by Bruce Feldman every summer. And Quiddy Pay was at number one. Um, Daniel Falele from Minnesota, and I think I'm saying that right, the 6'9", 400-pound right tackle uh, who's pretty new to the sport, did have some draft buzz. And I think he'll get drafted ultimately because he's just so big. Had a hard time against both Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson, who's not as twitched up, not the athlete that Quiddy Pay is, but uses his hands very well and very powerful. Uh, it was exactly what everyone, including myself, wanted to see from Quiddy Pay. Can he win with more than just speed and bend around the edge. I saw a swipe move. I saw an inside move. Looked very powerful. Two-gapped when he needed to. Dispatched blockers very well. It was a very strong performance from Pay And start to tip that arrow up in terms of his draft stock and just how good he is as a prospect. I think when it's all said and done, if he continues on this track, uh, we could see Quiddy Pay not just inside the first round. I think he's almost a lock to go there. Inside the top half, I think his ceiling is inside the top ten, or maybe even inside the top five, depending obviously on you know who the teams are that are picking inside the top five. Uh, Gregory Rousseau will certainly create a lot of buzz during the pre-draft process because we're not seeing him at that defensive end spot or moving around the Miami defensive line because he opted out. But after him, there's really a arms race to see who can be the number two edge rusher consensus. And I don't think there will be a consensus. There's Rashad Weaver and Patrick Jones from Pittsburgh. And Rashad Weaver, to me, has actually even played better than Patrick Jones. But both of those players, to me, are tracking toward the first round uh, Jason Owe from Penn State is also there. Uh, there's Quincy Roche from Miami. There's Chris Rumpf from Duke. He has a teammate um, that could also go relatively early. But there's not a consensus number two edge rusher. I think Quiddy Pay just put a statement at the beginning of his season against someone who's probably going to play in the NFL and is way bigger than him at 6'9 and 400 pounds, Daniel Falele. I think, I, I think I'm saying that right, so pardon me if I'm not. Uh, in the first game of the season for Michigan, I had to start off with him. So stock up performance for him. Uh, Justin Fields in Ohio State uh, had a little trouble to start. With Nebraska, mostly on defense, Justin Fields only had one incompletion. Uh, his touchdown down the middle of the field in the first half was tremendous display of his arm talent. That Yeah, he kind of had to step into it, but it was basically on a rope, uh, about 50 yards in the air, right on target. I don't think there is that big of a gap in terms of natural talent and the position-specific skills at the quarterback spot between Fields and Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one overall. He, I believe right now he's a better prospect, uh, and he's a tick more impressive with arm talent, his athleticism, his ability to run, process. I think Fields is a better decision-maker. Now, Ohio State over the last like decade, whether it was Tom Herman, whether it was uh, – you know, now Ryan Day, when Urban Meyer was there, they've had an offense and the five-star wide receivers and a great offensive line that has really been advantageous for a quarterback. It's been a, a environment conducive to 
a lot of production at the quarterback spot. But Fields is by far the most impressive quarterback from Ohio State. Um, way more. I mean, I don't know what he'll ultimately do stat-wise, and I know Dwayne Haskins threw the 50 touchdowns and had the 70% completion. He's already today could be a better player in the NFL than uh, Dwayne Haskins. I mean, you know, take away the fact that Dwayne Haskins had multiple games last year against NFL competition. Take away all that. But just as a prospect, Fields is better now than where Haskins was. Uh, and a great start for him. Uh, no, Nebraska is not a secondary that, that has a lot of NFL players on it, but it's the start that you wanted to see from him. Um, one other player on the collegiate side that I want to talk about um, Central Florida's Marlon Williams, three touchdowns against Tulane. He looks like he's about 5'10", 220. He literally, and I we write this a lot. I probably write it um, maybe too much as well, but it's become this phrase that a receiver turns into a running back or looks like a running back after they catch the football. Marlon Williams truly could line up in the backfield, and if his number was changed, you would think he's a running back. You would not have to be... Uh, you know, you could easily be convinced that he was a running back because he's so nifty. His contact balance is outstanding. He had an awesome, like, back juke down the sideline to score one of his touchdowns against Tulane. No, the competition hasn't been good, and that's another system. Josh Heupel there at UCF running an air raid uh, attack that's very spread out, and they threaten vertically often that does give Marlon Williams a lot of uh, space to operate. But, man, I get shades of Debo Samuel from Marlon Williams. I don't know how fast he is, and Debo Samuel was doing this type of stuff after the catch for three years in the SEC. Uh, But Marlon Williams, I'm not going to say he's the next Debo Samuel who's become – an elite yak wide receiver, but he's definitely on my radar. And actually I said one more, there's another receiver I I, I want to talk about. Um, not from a big name school or big name program, big name conference, but Marquez Stevenson from Houston, man, he is electric running his routes. And once he catches the football, he kind of has that slender, but still relatively tall frame. It's not 6'4", 6'5", but he's around six foot, looks kind of skinny, but it looks like you almost want him to be a smaller wide receiver for what he brings to the field, that he doesn't have a lot of extra weight, and he absolutely flies. He had a couple touchdowns uh, over the weekend. I believe he went over 100 yards. I just wrote about it for wide receiver watch. I should know this. I think he did, Um, but down the field. Body control near the sideline. The second he catches the football, he is dangerous. It can be a five-yard hitch, and I wrote this in wide receiver watch, that he ran a five-yard hitch, immediately cut against the grain, and yes, the cornerback against him that was covering him was playing pretty soft off coverage. Once Stevenson reversed his field and ran up toward the sideline, he picked up another 12 yards without even being touched. And actually like a safety came over the top and kind of forced Stevenson out of bounds. He's a kick returner as well. He had a kick return touchdown in Houston's first game, 97 yards, Uh, just absolutely flies. I think he's going to run easily in the four threes. 
yeah, there's some gadgety stuff that goes on at Houston. Um, and there will probably be the knock of he's not an elite route runner. He's not a separator. He hasn't run the full route tree. But in today's NFL, if you can throw a wide receiver the football on a five-yard hitch and he's turning that into a 17-yard gain, um, which, again, I, I'm not necessarily insinuating he's going to do that against NFL corners. But Marquez Stevenson, if you're looking for another dynamic player to watch with Jalen Waddell out, out for this season, and who knows what's happening with Rondell Moore. He was kind of a – unless I missed it, there was like a mysterious reason why he did not play against Iowa. Marquez Stevenson is the guy. I think he could stake his claim as the most electric, dynamic, whatever word you want to use, explosive – wide receiver in college football. All right, going over to the NFL front now. Uh, what a crazy day for Baker Mayfield and the Browns. Against the Bengals, he starts off 0 for 5, has an interception, looks absolutely terrible, and then he has one more incompletion the rest of the game. Finishes with five touchdowns, perfect pinpoint pass, uh, sideline in the end zone to Donovan Peoples-Jones, a freak athlete, went in the sixth round out of Michigan, uh, never really produced to the level that people thought he would as being this number one recruit at the receiver spot, but he has he jumped through the roof at the combine and made an awesome catch to win that game for the Browns. It's interesting, too, because Odell Beckham leaves early in that game, and it looked like Baker Mayfield... Uh, was more comfortable dispersing the football to other receivers. Rashard Higgins went over 100 yards. Uh, some other typically secondary and tertiary targets. Harrison Bryant scored two touchdowns. My number one tight end out of Florida Atlantic in this draft class um, with Austin Hooper down. I'm not going to... So from that, the, the talking points this week have centered around are the Browns better? Is the passing offense more efficient? when Odell Beckham is not on the field. And the thought there is, obviously, does Baker feel like he needs to force Odell Beckham the football? And that leads to some inconsistency, uh, to him holding onto the football too long, and then pressure, kind of inviting pressure. I'm kind of in the middle on this, which I wish I could take, uh, or I would feel comfortable taking a a firm stance on either side. Losing a star-wide receiver like Odell Beckham, and I, I don't think he's this mega, amazing, superstar, best receiver in the game, but he's one of the top... 10 or 15 wide receivers in football. Losing him is not going to help the Browns' offense. They're not going to be as dynamic. Teams can roll coverages now to Jarvis Landry, um, can do a lot more, can dedicate more to stopping the run, which if the run game goes uh, in this Kevin Stefanski offense, the Browns are going to be in trouble on offense. But I don't think it will. I, I think their offense line's good. Kareem Hunt is a very talented back, and then once Nick Chubb comes back in November, I think they'll be fine. Um, after, but beyond that, I do think Baker is more comfortable throwing to a variety of wide receivers than he is saying, Hey, all right, I got to get Odell Beckham, his 10 or 12 targets in this game. Uh, because that is when he can hold onto the football for too long and invite that pressure and get antsy inside and outside the pocket and not really know, um, where to throw the football or to get off that first read and not have it be a target for Odell Beckham. So I just wanted to bring up that Baker Mayfield bit. Um, and we're going to see the debut for Tua Tungabailoa this week for the Dolphins. 
The offensive line for Miami, that was my biggest drawback on Tua playing early is that I wanted to see it. My biggest drawback was that I wanted to see the Dolphins offensive line, how it fared in the first however many games until Tua played. And it, the offensive line for Miami is better than it was last year, and it would have been hard for it to be worse. But it's still not great. And I'm a little concerned. I mean, I'm sure at this point, Tua is technically 100% healthy. But beyond that, and yeah, he ran around a little bit in the SEC. I don't think he's a great athlete for the quarterback position. And I think his arm's good enough. I don't think he has a fantastic arm. And I think if he's running around uh, the arm talent to make off-platform throws, throws on the run, down the field. I don't know if he can consistently do that. And I just don't think he's going to be able to run away from linebackers and some of the faster defensive ends, even some of the faster defensive tackles on a consistent basis. So that's kind of what I'm going to be watching. When it comes to accuracy and knowing where to throw the football, I have no concerns about that. And I think the Dolphins have not a great receiver group, but maybe an underrated group. I think Devontae Parker, Preston Williams can do some things um, because they're bigger bodies and have proven that they can be productive uh, in the NFL now for now going on two years. I'm just a little concerned about the offensive line because I I don't think it's to the level. You still have Eric Flowers um, at left guard. I believe uh, their first-round pick, Austin Jackson, is still injured. Uh, and certainly comment or tweet at me if I'm wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure the left tackle is still injured. The right side looks pretty good. I think Solomon Kindley, uh, a, a guard from Georgia that I really liked coming out, they got him later in the draft. Uh, he's played very well, and they have Robert Hunt, their second-round pick out of Louisiana Lafayette, another player that was just very solid across the board. Um, I like that they have Miles Gaskin. They have some backs that... Tua can dump it down to and still get positive yards, six, seven, eight yards. Um, if he doesn't like what he sees and everything's moving too quickly for him in his first NFL start. Um, but really the offensive line and how Tua evades pressure, scrambles, makes plays on the run. That's what I'm looking for. That's the new in vogue thing for quarterbacks, that these young quarterbacks are making spectacular plays outside of the structure and outside of the pocket. Um, speaking of that, Quickly, just want to applaud Justin Herbert for the job that he's done. He was my number two quarterback. I was a lot higher on him than most. Had him inside my top 15 uh, when it was all said and done right before the draft. The chains are finally off, Justin Herbert, and I just wrote about that um, on Tuesday. If you're you're listening to this Tuesday night, check it out now. If you're listening to this Wednesday morning, go back to CBS Sports. Um, I wrote about Justin Herbert, and the smart way – that the Chargers are kind of unleashing him after he was really kept in restraints by that Oregon offense in 2019, which was so weird to have a quarterback prospect that was in contention to be the first overall pick or be the first quarterback off the board, uh, and they were running the football on third and sevens, and first and ten they were running the football a lot. The Chargers are not doing that. They're throwing the football in those first and ten situations more frequently, and they're letting their quarterback in second and long and third and long throw the football. So I like what they're doing. They're not asking Justin Herbert to chuck it deep 25% of the time. That would be an astronomically high number. They're still giving him the dump-offs to their running backs, even with with Austin Eckler out. Uh, So it's not a 
different it's not a big disper or disparity between in percentages of how many of his passes are going 20 plus yards down the field or how many are 5 yards or shorter it's just that they're running they're passing in more advantageous situations for Justin Herbert. So uh, I think that's pretty much it for this week. Just wanted to kind of shake some of the rust off, getting back to the Prospect Podcast. Um, so thank you for listening. I'm Chris Trapasso.